Good evening, everyone. Uh, I'm Brian Barrett, a principal engineer in EC2. And today I'll be talking about scaling HPC applications in EC2 uh, with Elastic Fabric Adapter, which for the rest of the talk, I'm just going to shorten to EFA, uh, which is a new network device that, that we've built uh, in, in AWS. So a quick overview of the talk. I'll start with uh, what people are doing with HPC in AWS today, a little bit about what EFA is, how to get started using it, and then we'll talk a little bit about how it actually works. Um, but before we get started, a couple of related talks. Uh, the first is uh, really a State of the Union talk on high-performance computing in AWS that uh, my boss in Calais, who's the uh, general manager for HPC and EC2 will be giving. Uh, there's two versions. This is the first one is Wednesday uh, tomorrow afternoon in ARIA, so hope you guys all like walking. Um, and then there's a couple of breakout sessions. These are just two I picked, but if you search for AWS, or sorry, if you search for HPC in the session catalog, you'll find a bunch of great talks about work we're doing on HPC and AWS. Uh, so getting started, Start with what people are doing today. Um, so there's a variety of HPC applications. And for the purpose of this uh, talk, I'm going to define HPC a little loosely, which is computation for the purpose of learning something. So scientific applications where you're trying to learn something about how, say, how the weather works. Um, in this case, this is the uh, you know, some, some simulations we did using the 2.5 kilometer CONUS model, uh, and you can see some scaling results for C4, one of our previous instance types, or for structural mechanics, so understanding how jet engines work. Uh, again, some uh, basic scaling data, uh, or how to ride a bicycle in a pack. Um, and this is some work that uh, Trek and one of our uh, partners, Rescale, put together um, to understand how to best build a bike and how to best ride in a pack. Um, or fluid dynamics with some commercial codes, ANSYS Fluent in this case, uh, again on a previous instance type, but uh, simulating fluid flow, airflow over uh, a race car. Um, and then finally, uh, my personal favorite, because I like airplanes, uh, there's a company, a startup company in uh, Denver in Colorado called Boom that, as the name might suggest, is trying to build a uh, supersonic jet transport. And the cool thing about them is all their compute has been in AWS with Rescale as a partner. Uh, and so uh, they, they're able to scale up and down their, their compute needs as they go through the cycles of simulate, build, simulate, build. Um, and they're only paying for that HPC infrastructure when, when they're actually in the simulate phase. Uh, and then finally, uh, a recent uh, big simulation that was done in uh, AWS was genomics processing uh, on, on FPGA, uh, simulating, uh, as it says, uh, fastest ever analysis of 1,000 genomes uh, using our FPGA instance types. So there's a variety of applications that, that we talk about when we say HPC. They have a number of things in common. Uh, for the most part, the examples that I listed here, possibly with the exception of genomics, are horizontally scalable, meaning uh, you want to add more and more compute instances to reduce further the, the runtime of the application. And, and ideally, when you add double the, app, the, the number of instances, you have the runtime. Um, and so we start with what is, what is EFA. Um, that's why we're all here, right? 
So, uh, but before I get there, a quick introduction on how HPC is done in EC2 today. So this slide if, uh, may look familiar, we've used it in a couple of places, but this is kind of a notional diagram of what uh, an EC2 in, uh, instance and a host look like. So on the right you have hardware, that's the actual physical hardware, so most of our instances not surprisingly have some memory, they have a couple of Intel CPUs generally, and then th something we call the Nitro card, which is uh, the, the system where we run all of our uh, hypervisor. Um, and this, uh, and then on the, on the left side is the software, which is uh, the, the actual instance. And so it, in this case, we're talking about a C5N, uh, 18X large. So you'd have some EBS uh, exposed through NVMe. You'd have an ENA adapter that would be capable of driving 100 gigabit per second over IP traffic. Uh, you'd have two processors and 196 gigabytes of memory. Uh, and there's a great talk from last year that you can find on YouTube from Anthony Liguri uh, from AWS, uh, from reInvent last year uh, on uh, C5 instance and the evolution of Amazon EC2 virtualization uh, that goes into all kinds of detail on how this diagram works. So I'm gonna assume that, that you guys all go watch the YouTube video and kind of skip over that because it's, it's not important for the rest of this talk. But the next part that's important is how these applications actually work. So you start with an application. Uh, let's say Ansys Fluent, the one that did the cool car, F1 car simulation. Underneath it sits an MPI implementation, and this is the, the uh, networking library that HPC customers tend to use. It has send and receive primitives, it has collectives, it has all kinds of cool things if you're a mathematician. And then underneath that, it's talking to the kernel's TCP IP stack, uh, and then the, that stack is talking to the ENA network driver, which eventually talks to hardware. So every message that you wanna send ends up being an, uh, a kernel trap and a bunch of TCP work, and then finally the packet gets on the network. And so we build a system you know, in our four node, let's say our four instance, uh, cluster, we might have an application on each instance, and they have kind of this shared wire and they can talk to each other, uh, and, and everything just kind of works. And uh, you end up with a performance graph that, there's two graphs here, we'll, we'll start on the, the left with the MPI latency, and one of the things I wanted to call out is even before EFA, uh, every generation of, of hardware that we've released, we've been making incremental progress on latency. Uh, so you can see this is MPI latency measured with uh, OSU latency, a common uh, MPI benchmark uh, within a placement group. You know, you guys can all launch two instances in placement group and you should get exactly these results. Uh, and you can see in every generation, including from C5 to C5N, we've knocked off a little bit more latency. Um, and on the bandwidth on the other side, you can see C3 and, and C4, those two low lines were uh, limited by the fact that it, they were 10 gig instance types. So you're driving about 10 gig. This benchmark has a little fuzzy, so you can see the line goes a little above about uh, 10 gig, but it's, it's an artifact of the benchmark. Um, and then we released C5, which is 25 gig, and, and you can see, as you'd expect, the line's two and a half times fast, higher. Um, and then you look at C5N, and again, this is MPI benchmarks, and you see the line didn't go four times higher than C5. Uh, and the reason for that is 
Uh, you can drive 100 gigabit out of, into and out of C5 and simultaneously. Uh, we've, we've done it multiple times. We have white papers on how to do it that, that we'll be making available. Um, but for MPI, it's really, really challenging, both because of artifacts of the MPI implementation and all the optimizations that you have to do. And, and most of NPI consumers are scientists. They don't know much about networking. That's not their area of specialty. What they know is how to make, do science. And so they don't know this is the operating system tweak that I need to turn so that I can drive 100 gigabit. And so where you end up is kind of this red line. This is I just took stock out of the barrel, uh, you know, a, a Amazon Linux 2 AMI, and uh, OpenMPI 313 and compiled the, the OSU multi-bandwidth benchmark, and these are the results I got. Uh, but with EFA, we're gonna change the picture a little bit. Uh, and now, we're going to send all that traffic, all those messages, instead of going through the Linux kernel and through the ENA stack, uh, they're gonna talk through this thing called libfabric that I'll talk about in a little bit, but they're going to talk directly to the EFA hardware. And the whole kernel picture gets out of the way. And kind of that picture looks the same as before. This picture looks the same as before. To the application, the pictures look identical. I typed MPI run, I uh, waited a couple of minutes, and the, the application started running, right? It's underneath the covers that we changed things. Um, and the way we did that is we added another PCI device to our instance. So we now have this, this EFA instance, uh, or PCI device, this network device. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and it's still a C5N. It's still the same hardware as before. It still has uh, placement group support, spot support, um, on-demand instance support, RIs, fleets, EBS, all the things that we know and love but there's also this extra network device that lets us bypass the kernel for really fast communi network communication. And this is the same graph as before, except we've added a couple of lines. Uh, for the bandwidth, now you can see we're actually able to drive approximately 100 gigabit. Um, it's worth noting, EFA is still in preview. Uh, these are all early results. The lines will be higher before we uh, go GA. Um, and likewise, on the right is latency. You can see we've already taken a step out, and this is still with a bunch of debugging on, and so we're gonna be able to lower this more before we release it uh, GA. And we'll talk about goals uh, um, at the end of the talk in terms of performance there. But uh, so the, the bottom line is more bandwidth, easier to use, lower latency, um, and more consistent latency at that. So, how do I use EFA, right? We've talked about how why it's great. How do I actually use it? Um, so you need a couple of things. First, you need a supported platform. Uh, and there's three instance sizes that you can start with today. Uh, C5 18x large, C, C5n 18x large, sorry. C5n 9x large, and P3dn 24x large. Uh, we are going to do network optimized uh, versions of R5 and M5 uh, sometime next year. And when we do release those, you'll see EFA support on day of launch for those. Uh, 
And likewise, uh, we are going to continue to expand our metal offering. And as we expand the metal offering uh, on the network optimized, the N variants, uh, EFA will work on day of launch for those. So you need an instance, and then you need a kernel module. Um, and uh, like I said, we're in preview right now. Uh, there's a sign-up page we'll get to at the end. It, during the preview, you're gonna have to download it from our GitHub site and install the, the kernel module. When we go GA, we'll have upstreamed Amazon Linux, and Amazon Linux 2 will just work out of the box. Uh, we're working with Canonical for Ubuntu, SUSE, and, and Red Hat for Red Hat Enterprise Linux uh, to include EFA drivers uh, as part of the AMIs that, that are published in AWS. Uh, it's a little bit of a race on, on whether we go GA first or, or they've ingested first, but uh, in the fullness of time, so sometime middle of next year, uh, they'll have uh, all, th all, four, all three of them will also have the EFA bits just installed as part of the AMI. Um, and you can always get the latest at our GitHub site, uh, github.com, Amazon, Amazon drivers, uh, where we have both the latest ENA and EFA drivers. Uh, and then you need this libfabric stack. We'll talk a little bit about what that is in a minute. Uh, for the first half of 2018, it'll be a AWS custom version. Uh, and then when libfabric releases, uh, it looks like 1.8 will be the, the merge point uh, sometime uh, in the first half of 2019. Uh, libfabric 1.8 will just include EFA. Um, out of the box, and so you can grab the libfabric, and, and we'll include it in Amazon Linux and Amazon Linux 2. And then lastly, you need the part that you as an application user actually use, which is an MPI implementation, or if you're doing machine learning, um, Nickel, NVIDIA's uh, Nickel, which is their uh, machine learning uh, library for distributed machine learning using the NVIDIA cards. So initially, uh, we're gonna support OpenMPI 3.1.3 or later, um, or Nickel 2.3.8 or later. So uh, OpenMPI doesn't need anything else. You can just grab OpenMPI 3.1.3, build with the libfabric driver, and it'll all just work. With Nickel, you'll also need to grab uh, an EFA driver, um, which uh, we've actually open sourced yesterday so that you can use uh, uh, Nickel over Libfabric over EFA. Uh, we are working with both Intel and Argon to uh, add uh, EFA through Libfabric EFA support to both Intel MPI and to MPI-CH. And details for all of this because no one's gonna remember all these instructions. We'll all be up on uh, aws.amazon.com slash HPC, including like a detailed how-to and any scripts we have to make this easier as we go. Um, there are a couple constraints for EFA. It's a special purpose device, right? It's meant to make HPC applications go fast. And so there's a couple of places where we made some trade-offs between the go fast button and full featured like you might expect if you've been using ENA. Uh, the first one is EFA communication is subnet local. So uh, if you have two instances in different subnets, they can both have EFA devices, but they can't talk to each other. Uh, if you have uh, clusters that are multi-AZ, uh, you know, all the, all the instances in subnet one and AZ one can talk to each other and all the instances in subnet two and, and AZ two can talk to each other. 
but you can't cross the, the subnet boundary, so you can't cross the AZ boundary. Uh, this may change in the fullness of time as we support more and more use cases, but uh, initially when we're looking at those really tightly coupled workloads, uh, you know, there's not a huge uh, demand for cross-AZ for, for, for MPI applications. Uh, the second is you have to have both an allow all traffic within security group ingress and egress rule. So all security group rules for EFA are stateless. Um, and they can only refer to other two uh, security groups uh, with their rule type. So you know, you allow all traffic. You can't just say zero slash zero. You actually have to give a subnet a security group ID. Um, and again, that that mostly has to do with that kind of performance flexibility trade-off. Uh, it allowed us to to optimize a little bit faster for uh, the firewall. You know, keep in mind most HP systems, HPC systems don't have a firewall inside of them. And so, uh, again, this is a use case that seemed to make sense. Uh, the second, or the third point is at launch, uh, you're limited to one EFA ENI per instance. Uh, so you can have as many as you want in your account, but every instance can only have one. Um, and then finally, uh, EFA ENIs can only be uh, added at instance launch or to a stopped instance. So what we call cold or warm attach. You can't hot attach, that is you can't add an ENI to a running instance. You can always stop that instance, add the EFA ENI and, and, uh, and restart the instance. Again, for most HPC clusters, particularly the way people are building them in the cloud where instances are kind of mapped to single jobs, this ends up not being a, a big impact but allows us to, to uh, do some optimizations behind the covers. So uh, let's start with how do I build an EFA-enabled cluster? Let's build a, a four-node cluster. So uh, anyone who's used the EC2 uh, run instances command, this probably looks fairly familiar because other than you probably haven't launched C5N because we launched it yesterday, uh, everything on here basically looks like how, you, how you'd launch today. You specify account, we're gonna launch for a region, we're gonna launch in Northern Virginia, a image ID, obviously that one's made up, an instance type, placement group, uh, and then the network interface. Uh, most of that should look familiar because it's all the same as has always been, except for that last little bit where it says interface type EFA. And that is the extent of the magic. Uh, you put that little command in, Again, don't try it today, it won't work. Uh, but when we uh, uh, have general availability, you add that and if you're, the instance type you specified is uh, one that supports EFA, you will get, a, uh, you, you will get an EFA ENI when, when the instance launches. Uh, and I did call out, you probably wanna specify a security group unless your default one has an allow all rule, so you're probably gonna have a security group for your cluster. And while that's launching, because we would have gotten some JSON and then waited to SSH in, wanted a quick uh, diagram of what we're building, right? We have an AZ, of course. Inside of that is a subnet. We have our four C5 instances, and each one of them will have an EFA ENI. Uh, and that's the new EFA ENI uh, logo for you know, the, the building HPC, or building AWS infrastructure diagrams. So we've waited long enough and the machine is probably up now, so we'll SSH into it. Um, and the first thing we do, because we're all 
HPC geeks is we'll run LSPCI. And we see the normal stuff that you'd see, right? Uh, a host bridge, an ISA bridge, uh, a VGA device, uh, an NVMe controller, because that's our EBS root volume, uh, the, the ENA controller, and then this other device that's new, we haven't seen before, this uh, EFA0 device. And that's the magic, that's the, the, the new EFA device. Um, and a uh, couple of things that are worth calling out here. Uh, first, uh, this really is that easy. That's all that's gonna be necessary to start an EFA instance. Uh, two, placement groups are still a good thing even with EFA. Uh, you can launch outside of a placement group. You just might get uh, larger latencies than if you launched with a placement group. Uh, as long as you're in the same subnet, EFA will be able to work whether you're in a placement group or not. Uh, and then finally, like I said, there's two, uh, two PCI devices that are associated with your ENI that we created. Uh, the ENA one that speaks IP and the EFA one that speaks uh, the OS bypass traffic. The nice thing about this is if you have an AMI that works today with uh, C5 or C5N, that AMI will work even with EFA. Um, and uh, you'll be able to log in, IP will work. You don't have to do any of the IP over IB things that you might have to do with InfiniBand. Uh, there's no need for, for any of the emulated stacks. And then you can install the EFA driver to, to enable the OS bypass traffic. Um, so I talked about a little bit about we need a kernel driver. So the next thing we do is, as HPC geeks is we run LSMod and we see, okay, I've got an EFA device and it brought in this IB core thing. I thought we, AWS didn't do InfiniBand, and why is this IB core thing loaded? So it turns out Mellanox, was the, uh, who makes InfiniBand cards, was the one who did all the work to upstream an OS bypass network stack into the Linux kernel. And uh, in, in marketing genius, uh, they called it the InfiniBand uh, interface rather than, say, an RDMA interface. And so the, the core library that everyone uses is still called IB core, and the access for user space is still called IB uverbs. Um, so we use both of those and EFA, uh, and then uh, you know, we see we have a kernel module that's up and running, and then this next command is probably new for everybody, uh, fi info which is the libfabric command to make sure libfabric is all wired up properly. And uh, we're, we're looking for providers, which is their driver name, their name for a driver. Uh, we're looking for the EFA provider, and it spits out three things that, that we'll talk about in a follow-on slide. Uh, and then finally, the most important part, let's make sure MPI works. So. Uh, I'm a big fan of OpenMPI, uh, probably because I've been working on it for 15 years now. It has this nice command, info that tells you all the drivers that it has. Uh, and the one we're looking for is OFI, which is the libfabric driver. Uh, and we see that it's installed, and then we're gonna run a hello world, be, or a ring uh, program, just to make sure everything's wired up. And sure enough, uh, we were able to uh, pass messages in, in a ring 10 times, uh, and, and the whole thing worked. So the next question we usually get is, uh, that's great, run instances is awesome, but how do I integrate this with my higher level uh, um, building blocks, right? I've got uh, this you know, application framework to, to build my clusters, how do I integrate with it? Uh, and the answer is gonna be a little tedious, uh, but 
because um, you're gonna hear the same thing four times here. Whether you're using CloudFormation or auto-scaling groups or Spot, or Spot Fleet or Fleet in general or AWS Batch, the answer is the same. You start with a launch template. Uh, who here knows what launch templates are? Okay, a couple of people, more than I expected. Uh, but uh, so launch templates are something we, now, we, we released last year. And the idea is uh, that you can specify a launch configuration and then use that across a whole bunch of places like, say, CloudFormation, uh, auto-scaling groups, and, and uh, AWS Batch, for example. Uh, so the answer to how to use all these things is to build a launch template that enables EFA uh, and then uh, pass that launch template. Um, and for the launch template, it's actually really simple. Just like run interfaces, you add this interface type EFA and you're off and running. Um, and so if we look uh, at a quick example uh, that I could have used instead of all the run instances parameters earlier, uh, here's a quick example of, of how to build a launch template to launch with EFA. So again, I have my network interface section where I say I don't need a public IP address because I'm building an internal cluster. Uh, I want it to be device zero because it's gonna be the only device in the instance. Um, I want it associated with a particular subnet and I want it to be EFA. I want it in a placement group, usual AMIs, and uh, I want it to be a C5N 18X large. And then a slightly unrelated uh, diversion into launch templates and, and other cool things you can do with EC2 for HPC. Uh, one of the common questions we hear uh, from HPC people is, well, I don't like hyperthreads. How do I turn them off? And uh, for years, our answer has been uh, to run a scripted boot that, uh, do, that essentially hot unplugs the, the second hyperthread on every core. And that works great if you remember to run that script at boot. Uh, the other way that you can do it uh, with, some with a feature called CPU options that we released this year is you can actually say, I want your instance to have this many cores and to have this many hyperthreads per core. Now this was uh, a feature really developed to help licensing where you might have a license for 20 cores uh, but we only offer a 24-core instance. You know, we offer 12 or 24, neither of which are 20. And, and this allows you to say, only put 20 cores in the instance. But it also allows you to say, I want so many hyperthreads per core. And so, as you can see, I said I want all 36 cores, but I only want one thread per core. And, and this, will, this is another way that you can turn off hyperthreads without having to remember to run a boot time script. Um, so now for the part that people are probably actually interested in, which is uh, how does EFA actually work? So um, we started with uh, a diagram kind of, this is how uh, HPC applications and, and kind of HPC libraries are designed today. So I have an application, it sits on top of either an MPI implementation or for machine learning uh, nickel, and uh, some people really like OpenMPI, yay. Uh, some really like Intel MPI, uh, some like NVIDIA and Nickel. And if I'm a hardware vendor and I wanna support a new network interface, I first go talk to the OpenMPI guys uh, and try and convince them that they should take, my, take support for my network adapter. Then I talk to Intel MPI, and then I talk to NVIDIA. 
Um, and somewhere two years after I've launched, everyone has support for my network driver. Uh, and if I'm, an open, if I'm an open MPI developer, I have a similar problem, right? Every time someone launches a new network device, I've gotta go write a driver for it. And I probably don't know how that hardware works really well, but I know how my MPI implementation works really well. And so you end up with a lot of duplicate effort across a wide, variety, wide part of the, the commercial space. And so uh, what LibFabric seeks to do is to, to kind of put an interposer library in here where uh, LibFabric exposes high-level constructs that are exactly what MPI or Nickel wants to run really, really well. And uh, all you have to do if you're a hardware provider is say, okay, I have to run write this one provider and I have to make it work really, really well. And I understand how my hardware works so I can do that. And if I'm an MPI implementer, I have a nice interface that very nicely matches what I wanna do. It has tagged matching in it, it has all the ordering semantics MPI has. And so I have a fairly nice interface to write to if I'm an MPI implementer. Uh, I have a fairly nice interface to write to if I'm a network uh, provider. And so the two meet in the middle and, and you end up with an application stack in months instead of years. Um, and so that, that's great for the consumer or the customer largely because you end up with uh, support for your MPI implementation much sooner. Uh, and if I asked this room, I'm sure I'd get at least six answers as to what their favorite MPI was. Um, and so this is just kind of a, a diagram of what LibFabric looks internally. It's really not important for most people. Just know there's a bunch of layers and, and a bunch of abstractions that you can implement. And then the big takeaway is uh, LibFabric has support from a, a wide variety of vendors, including Cray, Intel, Cisco, uh, and now AWS. Um, and so it's, it's uh, gaining market share and, and gaining, uh, you know, has a, a stable platform of, of vendors who are interested in continuing to make it work. So jumping back uh, to, a slide, to some data I showed earlier uh, about uh, EFA. So LibFabric has this concept of endpoints. And endpoints are communication types. So just like you have TCP and UDP, uh, you can have different uh, communication types with LibFabric. So you can have uh, reliable datagrams, RDM. You can have unreliable datagrams, uh, DGRAM. Uh, and you can have, uh, also have um, a stream semantic and, a message, and an ordered message semantic. So EFA natively provides two types of communication, a reliable datagram and an unreliable datagram. So those are the two top providers you see. We also have a, um, what's called a utility provider, which is uh, a set of code that provides a higher level abstraction that I'll talk about in the next slide that we built called RxR to optimize our particular path through LibFabric. Um, the other things that are interesting to call out here, first, the addressing is based on your MAC address. Um, so it's the IPv6 encoded uh, MAC address. Uh, the second that's probably most interesting to people is you'll notice our protocols are, that we list for EFA are a custom protocol to us that we're calling, uh, in, in LibFabric we call uh, FIProto EFA, which um, just means it's, it's a custom protocol internal to EC2. Um, so our native modes are reliable datagrams, 
Uh, they are unordered. Uh, you have a max message size of eight kilobytes. I'll get to why this isn't a problem in a second. Um, it's a send-receive interface with no tag matching. So it's a very simple, I send a, pa a, ma a message and I'm guaranteed to get that message, not necessarily in the order I sent it. Uh, and it natively uh, multipaths. So uh, there's no, as some of you might know, EC2 has uh, a flow limiter. The biggest any TCP can, a flow can be in the EC2 network is 10 gigabit. Uh, our, the RDM channel bypasses that limiter because it's natively spraying traffic across our network and able to use it very efficiently. Uh, we also have a DGRAM provider, which is unreliable and unordered, so I won't guarantee it gets to you, and I won't guarantee it gets to you in the order I sent it. you sent it. Um, again, has eight kilobyte message size uh, and uh, send-receive only interface. It, however, is subject to that same flow limiter that you see with TCP IP and UDP uh, IP over ENA. And then the endpoint type that almost everyone in this room is gonna use is RxR, which is uh, a utility stack that we built to, to support uh, EFA, to support MPI and nickel over EFA applications. So it has ordering, uh, it has tag messaging, so it does all the MPI things to make it nice and fast. Uh, its max message size is uh, two to the 64 minus one, i.e. greater than system memory size. Uh, it supports large IOVAX. Uh, it was developed by AWS as part of EFA. Uh, in the next week or two, you'll see it um, uh, upstreamed, uh, posted publicly both on our GitHub site as well as uh, starting the upstream process into the uh, um, community libfabric site. And uh, this is currently implemented mainly to support MPI applications and Nickel. Uh, in the coming years, you'll see us add support for RMA and Atomics and kind of the rest of the interface that, that's a little bit more esoteric uh, for most of our customers. Um, the really cool thing in EFA, uh, well, there's two really cool things in EFA. The first is 100 gigabit, uh, but you probably all heard Peter talk about that, and there's not much to say other than it's 100 gigabit, right? Uh, the other cool thing we have is the, a new reliability protocol that we built in AWS, especially for uh, AWS's unique data center network that, that works differently than, than most data center networks. Um, so the, the reliability protocol gives us a couple of things. It gives us uh, network-aware multipath routing. So uh, we're always sending packets across multiple paths in the network so that we can uh, respond very quickly when there's network events on a particular uh, path. We can very quickly route around that. As a matter of fact, that's not an abnormal thing. That's happening all the time. That's how we know that code path works is we're always uh, taking multiple paths, and so there's no, like, suddenly we discovered it didn't work problem. Uh, it's guaranteed delivery. The packet will get there. It might not get there in the order you sent it, but it will get there. Um, and the reason that it isn't ordered is when you really look, uh, it's, if you look at open, if you look at what MPI wants or what Nickel wants, they have an ordering semantic, but it's not, I need every packet in exactly the same order that you sent it. MPI has a very complex, very rich ordering semantic uh, that doesn't require every packet arrive in order. Uh, and Nickel, 
really just has no ordering requirements at all, other than uh, you have to have the data delivered before you deliver a completion. And so in both cases, having strict packet ordering is the wrong thing to do. It imposes overhead for no gain. And in those couple of times where you do need strict ordering, it turns out Intel spends billions of dollars every year to make uh, list walking and, and reordering really, really fast. And so it's better just to do it in the Intel processor. Uh, but we do the reliability in our Nitro card, in, in that offload card, or in that, that daughter card that, that runs the Nitro hypervisor for a couple of reasons. And the first is we wanted to drive down tail latency. And it turns out that tail latency or a dropped packet and having to wait for the retransmit timer is driven largely by how consistently you can depend on the remote side servicing your requests, telling you that the packet got dropped, or got, uh, that it arrived. How, um, and so uh, with a normal TCP stack, every time that, uh, to send an ACK, the kernel has to wake up, which means an interrupt. Uh, if you're doing interrupt coalescing, you might, to, to get better bandwidth, you might have to wait for many packets before the, the card decides to wake the NIC up. Um, the NIC, you know, the first thing the kernel does is it goes and looks, is there any really high priority tasks that I have to do? Some of which can take multiple milliseconds. And so where you end up is really, practically speaking, the fastest you can run a retransmit timer with TCP in, in a large network is about 50 milliseconds. And that's really pushing it in a lot of cases. Uh, we can run orders of magnitude faster than that because it's a polling mode device that doesn't have a general purpose, uh, you know, Linux OS running customer codes. It's, uh, you know, we're not waiting for MPI to, you know, for the application to enter the next MPI call. We can very rapidly send that ACK and we can very rapidly retransmit. Um, and so we go from, you know, best case, best case 50 milliseconds to uh, you know, hundreds of microseconds in, in that tail latency. So orders of magnitude reduction. Um, like I said, this is implemented as part of our third generation Nitro chip. That's the one that has the, uh, the 100 gigabit uh, capabilities. And so we're able to use this both uh, for some internal services to get you better performance, but also expose the customers through, through EFA and through that RDM channel in EFA. Uh, so, when you ask for a reliable datagram uh, service from EFA, what you're getting is, is this SRD. Um, and one cool place uh, where this is really beneficial to the users is what happens when a link fails, right? In, in um, our network, just like any other network, you know, sometimes a data tech unplugs a cable or, uh, you know, an optical transceiver fails or switch reboots. and um, we're driving 20 gigabits in, in this simulation, and we, we unplug the network card, or sorry, a switch in between that the, that the link is, um, uh, that the packets are going across. And, and basically, you wait until we reconverge on a new path, which can be hundreds of milliseconds. Uh, and just nothing happens when you're using TCP. And then finally, the network reconverges and you're off and running. Uh, with, with SRD, uh, or reliable datagrams over EFA, you end up with the, the SRD picture, which is that exact same scenario. We started 20 gigabit flow, 
We uh, unplug a hot link, one of the, the, the links in use. Um, and you notice we don't go to zero. And we don't go to zero because we're always driving traffic across multiple paths in our network. So we do uh, see a, a bandwidth drop as we figure out, oh wait, I sent some packets that are never gonna get there and I need to send them across a different path. But it doesn't go to zero, you're always making progress. Uh, and so this not only helps with the, the tail latency problem, but also with the, the random why did my network stop for a couple of milliseconds problem that you get with HPC applications. Um, and then finally, a couple of, I'm just gonna ask and answer some questions before you guys do, uh, just to get them out of the way. So uh, like I said, it's in preview right now. Uh, there's a sign up page on the, from, that you can get to from the aws.amazon.com slash HPC. But the question is, when will it reach general availability? Uh, and the answer is uh, first half of 2019. Uh, how do I sign up for the preview? There's the link. Um, what regions will we launch EFA in? Uh, the answer to this, I'm being a little weaselly here, I get. But uh, anywhere that there's a C5N or a P3DN. So C5N, we announced yesterday, um, is uh, for commercial regions and GovCloud. Uh, and as that expands over time and as we expand the, the network-optimized instance portfolios, anywhere one of those exists, EFA will work. And then the final one that I know someone's gonna ask, what is the MPI latency? Uh, our shipping goal is less than 15 microseconds, uh, half round trip time as measured by the OSU latency benchmark uh, that's inside a placement group. Um, pretty confident we're gonna hit that, and then we're gonna constantly iterate on improving that. Um, and there's a couple of things that are coming that will help, uh, including uh, expanding the metal options, which I talked about earlier, the, the hypervisorless options that we have. Um, which will support EFA, and it turns out if you disable, if you're using one of those metal instances and you turn off the IOMMU, which you're able to do uh, from your, from basically it's a boot time option, it's a grub.conf option when you're running on the metal instances, uh, you can uh, save approximately two microseconds right there. Um, and so uh, there's a number of ways that we're gonna continue to, to reduce that latency over the coming years. The cool part about EFA is we can do most of those with no change from you guys. Uh, you continue running your application and one day it gets a little faster. Um, and so a quick thank you both to everyone for, for listening to me ramble for 45 minutes. Uh, and uh, obviously I did not do all this myself. Uh, there's a number of teams in AWS uh, who have been doing uh, an amazing amount of work over the last uh, 18 months uh, to build this offering. Um, and so a, a huge shout out to all of them. Uh, and as part, before I get to questions, uh, I'm supposed to remind everyone to complete the session survey in the mobile app. Um, and please be nice. So with that, uh, I'll open it to any questions that you guys have. Not all at once. All right, what's that? Yeah, I am competing with the pub crawl. So with that, I guess uh, we'll call it a night. Thank you.